Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to a brand new series called The Power of Perfect Love. Man, I am so excited about this series. And I'm telling you, this is going to help you. You know, of all the things we need to experience right now in this time that we're facing in the world, it is perfect love. Now, you notice I didn't say the thing we need to know about. It doesn't matter what you know about. It doesn't matter what information you have about anything. What matters is what truth or information are you actually experiencing? Because if you're not experiencing something, it does not benefit your life in the least bit. Now, let me just mention to you, you know, I am going to load you up like I always do with great uh, material in these video messages, which are free for you. But for those of you who want to take a deep dive, who are a little more committed to to uh, to really walking out the life of a disciple and making sure you fully understand what the Word of God says about something, I'll always produce an audio series, and you can uh, purchase the audio series. And the money you spend when you purchase an audio series uh, with us, or when you purchase any products from our website, or when you make a contribution, this goes into us uh, reaching the entire world with the gospel. We are raising up one billion disciples around the world, and you can be a part of it. So if you want more information about that, go to our website, impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com, and check out what it means to be a world changer, because that's what we do. We change the way the world sees God. So today, we're going to start answering the question, what is perfect love? Now, the, the scripture passage, the text that most people are going to go to, that, that is a wonderful passage of scripture. In 1 John 4, 18, when you're talking about perfect love, this is the place where you really uh, almost always have to begin. It says in 1 John 4, 18, it says, there is no fear in love. Now, I'm just telling you, this is so phenomenal. There is a realm wherein we as believers can dwell where in that realm, we don't have any fear. Now, keep in mind, having fear or not having fear isn't because God loves us. It's because we know, we experience as a result of believing the truth about the love that God has for us. When you believe something in your heart, you experience it throughout all of your being. All of your emotions come in line uh, with the beliefs of your heart. So perfect love, um, actually, as we see in the next part of this verse, it says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out or drives out or expels all fear. You know, love is, uh, is related to light. All the aspects of God's truth and God's life are uh, uh, described very much from uh, just the terminology, just the word light. So 
So one of the characteristics about light is this. When light comes into a room that has darkness, a darkness has to do anything that has to do with death, that has to do with uncertainty, that has to do with lack of clarity, that has to do with, with the lack of the life of God. Which, in other words, anything, darkness represents the absence of everything that God is. And the great thing about light is when light comes into a room, it expels darkness. You know, I have heard it said that there's actually no such thing as darkness. I don't know if that's correct or not, but uh, but darkness is just some is just a a manifestation of what we see and experience in the absence of light. And so the great thing is once light comes into a room or an area where there's darkness, then the darkness cannot exist in that space. Well, that's, that's the way fear and love operate. When we are actually experiencing love, we don't have to do anything to drive the fear out. We don't have to do anything to make the fear go away. But if we are not experiencing the perfect love, then the truth is we can have that theology, we can have the proper doctrine, we can quote the scriptures about it, uh, we can know that God loves us. We, you know, in other words, we can have all of the right intellectual, academic information about this, but if it is not something we're experiencing, it, experiencing, we are not. It's not going to do anything. There's not going to be any light to drive out the darkness. There's not going to be the experience of love to drive out the experience of the fear. Now, fear, according to the scripture, has to do with torment. Now, there's a lot of aspects here about uh, fear and torment. But one of the key things this is talking about, as we see, we'll see as we look into the text more, we will see that this torment has to do with uh, judgment and condemnation. And so when people are feeling judged, when people are feeling condemned, uh, one of the things that we are going to discover is that this means that they are not experiencing uh, the perfect love of God. Now, keep in mind, this scripture does not say that love casts out fear. Now, many times, well-meaning people, when they're teaching about perfect love, they will just simply make the statement that love drives out or casts out fear. Well, that's not totally incorrect, but it's actually not what the scripture says. It's a really interesting thing to me. Uh, there are people who absolutely mean well. And in order to try to get a point across to us, sometimes they will abbreviate the scriptures, if you will, and maybe leave out some key words. They're not trying to deceive anybody. They're not trying to, to be disingenuous. They're just trying to help you, the listener, get to the point. But the problem is, when we leave out key words out of a passage of scripture, sometimes we don't mean to, but we actually change the meaning of the scripture. We change what that scripture is saying. So 1 John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, not just any kind of love. And keep in mind, there are four Hebrew words that describe different aspects or different types of love. There are three primary Greek words that describe the different aspects of love. And so, so many times, uh, as Westerners, as Gentiles, we talk about the love of God, 
and we leave it to the listener to define love based on what they think love is. And the problem is uh, most of us have not renewed our mind to define biblical words the way God defines them. We define them the way our culture defines them, the way our family defines them, the way our denomination defines them. Uh, and, and so the problem is when we are not defining words the way God is defining words, then really we don't reach the goal or the promise that the Scripture has concerning a particular word. So many people, they believe in love, but they may not really believe in love as God describes it, and they may not believe in perfect love. They may not even know those things, and therefore they never really experience these great benefits of perfect love. Now it goes on to say, he who fears has not been made perfect, been brought to the perfection of love. So it says, so we love him because he first loved us. So right there is, is the starting place of entering into perfect love. But, it, but that is not perfect love. Just because we come to the realization that he loved us first, that is not perfect love. That's not even really necessarily love. That is just the beginning. That's the starting place of, of grasping and entering into the perfect love of God. It has to start with the fact that we do not earn this. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to earn the love of God. But if we stop right there, now one of the things that's happening uh, kind of out, out across the theological landscape out there, uh, you know, there's a big emphasis all across America and around the world uh, about the grace of God. I believe in the grace of God. It is in the Bible. And unfortunately, uh, the same thing is happening with the doctrine of grace that happened with the doctrine of faith, that happened with the doctrine of prosperity, that happened with a lot of these other doctrines. People exaggerate these things. They preach and teach them from really a less, little bit less than a scriptural point of view. And so then people who, who don't like the message of grace, they reject it as if it's not in the Bible. We can't reject something that's in the Bible because of the people who misuse it, mystify it. And so many things, it's just like with the Baptist church. You know, when I got born again, first church I ever went to, first 18 months I was a believer, I went to a little Baptist church. It was a great church, but they totally rejected the biblical doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They totally rejected the value and the doctrine of speaking in what the Bible calls other tongues or what the English calls other tongues. And they, they totally rejected that, uh, not because of what the Bible said, but because of the way the Pentecostals and the Charismatics had such poor doctrine that the way they explained it was not scriptural. The way they presented it, their doctrine about these things was not scriptural. So the Baptists and other conservatives just totally rejected the baptism of the Holy Spirit as being legitimate. Well, see, the problem is now you're rejecting the Bible. You're not just rejecting the extremes or the or the poor doctrinal choices of other of other groups of people. You are rejecting what's in the Bible. That's what we've done with the grace message. And so, so there are many, many things today that are taught in the name of grace that are not actually don't have anything to do with grace as the Bible defines it. And so there, there, one of the things we need to realize, there are words, and they're not synonyms, there are several words 
that will be used in the scripture that describe different dimensions, or you might even say different perspectives or different layers of the truth. There are a lot of, all truth has multiple dimensions. You know, we are a left brain cause and effect linear thinking society, and we want one cause, one cure, one, one cause, one effect. And so we are looking for these these perfect doctrines that can be succinctly uh, explained in one short statement. And, uh, and we want that to explain these complex things of the heart, these complex things of the mysteries of God. We want to be able to reduce them down to one Facebook quote uh, that says it all. And that never, never happens. Uh, and so, and so, there are a lot of things in the Bible that are referring to different dimensions, different aspects, different layers of the power of God. So, love is something that, evidently, in a certain sense, is like light. It has a power, an inherent power that works in it. And that power drives out darkness, and just like light drives out darkness, love drives out fear. Uh, and and so life drives out death. I mean, you just you just go down the whole row of these many different things. So now you know there is the word dunamis, which is used of the power of God. Now dunamis is a word that describes a power on a more functional level. Like, like the word dunamis is the word from which we get dynamo. One of the interesting things about a dynamo is a dynamo has the ability to give off a power equal to itself without diminishing any of its inherent power. Well, that's the way the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you when you read in the New Testament about the power of the Holy Spirit, it's the word dunamis. Many times when you read about the power of God in the Greek, it's the word dunamis. It is a dynamo. It is the word from which we get dynamite. It is an explosive power. And so, um, you know, Jesus, you remember the woman came to him that had the issue of blood, and she touched the hem of his garment, and he got healed. Well, King James Version said, said Jesus stopped, said, somebody touched me, for I perceived virtue going out of me. Well, that word virtue in the Greek is actually the word dunamis. He, he sensed the power go out of him. Now, he didn't lose any of his power. He didn't become less powerful. He just recognized that a power, a strength, a capacity something that was explosive, something that had the, the, the capability to totally change or, or renovate something. So that, that's kind of the basic functional concept of power. Well, now, again, love is a power in a certain sense. Love has a dunamis effect to it. Uh, also, grace has a dunamis effect to it because grace actually is a power, it's a strength, it's a capacity, it is an ability that is given by unmerited favor that works in our heart, and it makes us able to be and do all that God says we are. Actually, grace is an expression of the power of righteousness. Grace is something that manifests when we are experiencing, not just believing in a very intellectual sense, but when we are believing in our heart, therefore experiencing something in our life um, uh, about righteousness, where we are believing that we are who God says we are. We have what God says we have. We can do what God says we can do. Everything that God says about us, everything God says about the world is true. That is when we, according to Romans 5, 1 and 2, 
This is when we experience grace, which is a power that makes us able to stand. What do you mean makes us able to stand? Makes us able to stand in this strength, in this capacity that, that God has given us. So, so love is, it, it falls into this continuum of power, which can manifest as life, it can manifest as light, it can manifest as healing, it can manifest as ability, it can manifest as strength, it can manifest in all of these different kind of ways. Now, so, but it tells us that this power that works to drive out fear isn't just the power of love. You know, uh, who was it? Huey Lewis in the, in the news had a great song back in the 80s or 90s about the power of love. Great song. Love the song, but the song doesn't tell us anything about what love really is. You can read novels about the power of love. They don't tell you what God's kind of love is. Uh, we got all these concepts. We got all these English words. We got French words. We got Greek words. We got we got all these different words that we look at to understand what love is. But until we look at the Greek and the Hebrew, the New and the Old Testament, God's languages that He spoke and that He communicated, then we don't really understand what He is actually talking about. So keep in mind, number one, it's not just love that drives out fear. It is, in fact, perfect love. It doesn't just drive out fear. It drives out torment. It drives out the fear that God will hurt us. You know, the Bible talks about condemnation. It says in Hebrews 10, 25, 26, 27, 28, it says, if we willfully sin after we see the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a, fear, a fearful looking for a fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary. Now, people read that and say, see, oh my God, if I sin willfully, then man, that, that's what's going to happen. God is going to consume me. God's going to pour out condemnation and judgment. No, it didn't say that's what's going to happen. It says that's what you're going to start looking for. That's what you're going to start anticipating. Condemnation, in one sense, can be the anticipation of God tormenting you or God afflicting you. Uh, uh, and that, that's the fear of judgment. So if you have the fear of judgment, you if when something goes wrong in your life, there's any part of you that thinks that this is God getting even with you for something, then you are not experiencing perfect love. Because when there's perfect love, you will never be afraid that God will ever, ever hurt you. You will never be afraid that you are coming under judgment. You know, one, one of the things that's going to cause so the great falling away, I believe, and uh, during the... Uh, the beginning of sorrows and the first three and a half years of the, of the tribulation is going to be people who believe this is God. And there are, there are powerful preachers and teachers, pastors of mega churches out there today, declaring that all these things that are going wrong, this is finally God being sick of us and pouring out the punishment that we deserve. That is not true. The Bible says we are delivered from wrath. And when you understand uh, what the, the Passover is all about, which the Passover uh, was the very first feast that the children of Israel participated in, it was all about being delivered from the wrath of God. Even when the world around you is under the wrath of God, we are delivered from the wrath of God. We never have to fear the wrath of God. So, so you need to understand that uh, uh, there is this thing that the Bible calls the full counsel of God or the whole counsel of God, according to what translation that you're reading. And the books uh, in the book of Acts, the 20th chapter, the 26th verse, the apostle Paul is uh, on his way to Rome, 
And he knows that he's never going to get to talk to these leaders again. And the leaders from Ephesus and some other groups, they, they actually walked, I think it was about a three-day journey to meet with Paul before he set sail. And so he's saying goodbye to them, and he's giving them final uh, instructions. In verse 26 of Acts 20, he says, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now, I preached a series, uh, and you can get it on our, uh, on our website for free. Uh, video series about the full counsel of God. And uh, and Paul makes an interesting statement here, and I go into this in this series a lot deeper than I'm going to now. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, this is interesting that Paul equates uh, having innocent blood on his hands when he fails to preach or teach or declare the full counsel of God. And so then he provides this warning to these to these uh, people who are who are going to be pastors or shepherds, if you will, over the household of God. And he says, now you take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. And it seems that the warning that he is giving them is you continue in what I taught you. You continue to preach the whole counsel of God. You know, the apostle Peter warns against what he called private interpretation. And private interpretation uh, is pretty much where we get into teaching things that are our preferences. Now, I'm just going to tell you this. So many times I hear great messages. I mean, really great messages about great subjects in the Bible, and the love of God, the perfect love of God is one of them. But so many times, and I really believe, you know, legalism has dominated theology for, for really the first uh, 1,800, 1,900 years. And, uh, and so legalism was something you always had to deal with. And so in, in attempting to deal with extremes, just like the extremes about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the extremes of healing, the extremes of prosperity, of prosperity, then people, instead of coming back and saying, no, let's just talk about the whole counsel of God. Let's talk about everything that the Bible says about prosperity. Let's talk about everything, which would mean the areas where you need to be responsible, the areas where you need to be cautious, the areas where you need to guard your heart. And, uh, and the same with grace, the same with all of this. But Paul is saying, listen, We've got to make sure that we preach the full counsel of God, that we don't go to extremes of emphasizing certain points to combat the overemphasis of other extreme points. You know, I've, I've said this about church history. You know, uh, this, is, this has been the way I've described her, church history for the last 45 years. Church history is like a drunk driver driving down the road who runs off the road on one side, hits the ditch, and jerks the, wakes up and jerks the wheel over. He overcompensates, and then he runs across the road to the other side, hits the ditch, and overcompensates. And so church history is really uh, nearly 2,000 years of hitting the ditch on one side or the other and then overcompensating. And very rarely, if ever, has the Orthodox Church driven down the middle of the road so that the full counsel of God is presented about anything. So people who fail to present the full counsel of God are usually trying to help you overcome 
an extreme doctrine that has been overemphasized in the past. But the problem is you can't use another extreme doctrine to get a person out of the ditch on one side of the road because they will just simply overcompensate and go out of the ditch on the other side of the road. You know, it's sort of like this. If there was a scripture that said the sun will shine every day except the third Friday of every month, and uh, and then you had you were hearing people preach that because of this one day every every third Friday of every month, uh, because there's darkness on that day, th then they start preaching about the darkness, how the darkness is of God. This is the negative, judgmental, condemnation preaching that the church has had to deal with. And really, remember, this kind of fear is what the religion has used to control believers and to dominate believers ever since Jesus uh, was resurrected. And, and by, the, by the end of the apostle apostolic doctrinal era, era the church went, did go into darkness and stayed into darkness and carried the world into deeper darkness than the occult had ever carried it uh, by teaching these extremes of doctrine. So, so you realize that these people that are preaching that and justifying darkness all the time, they're really over-exaggerating a point. And so then they come out and say, well, you know what? You can expect the sun to shine every day. Well, now the problem is the, the hypothetical scripture that we made up here didn't say the sun will shine every day. So it's sun will shine every day except third Friday of every month. But you're telling people that sun's going to shine every day. Now, that's not a lie. That's not a complete untruth, but it's not the complete truth either. So if I didn't include the exception for the third Friday of every month, then now I am really not telling the truth. So let's say that you're developing your faith and you want to be more optimistic. You want to believe God for the sun to shine. And so you're going to trust God's faithfulness for sunshiny days, but it doesn't happen on this third Friday of every month. So how could that affect your faith? What if you attempted to operate faith? For uh, And the first day that you're going to operate faith for a sunshiny day, but then the very next day was a third Friday, and it was dark that day. What would that do to your faith? What does it do to your faith when you don't get the full counsel of God, and then suddenly what you're trying to believe for doesn't actually come to pass? So did the preacher lie to you? No, not really. Sometimes, again, it's just an effort to help you see something that was previously ignored that was previously overemphasized. So we overemphasize another side of the truth. I, I hope this is I hope this is making this making sense to you. Nobody intended to hurt you, nobody intended to deceive you, but in the end, it could cause you to be deceived. So I want you to know that everything positive, uh, everything positive you've ever heard about the power of perfect love is probably true. But there are some aspects of this that were either left out or that maybe you even misunderstood, even if they weren't left out. So I want to help you to know and believe and experience the power of perfect love. And, to, and I want you to participate in all of these benefits. So maybe before we decide to operate faith for perfect love, we need to find out exactly what perfect love really is. We need to understand what it means to operate faith for perfect love. And, and then we need to step into what the Bible describes as perfect love, experience this in our life, and really become, you know, become people who can live in the promise of God. 
and have the full counsel of God uh, to guide us and, and upon which to build our faith. Now, listen, be sure and share this with your friends. If you're watching this on YouTube, be sure and like it. This helps more people to hear this. But I also want to encourage you, go to our website, impactministries.com, drjimrichard.com. Check out the world changer information and join with us every single month. I'm going to send you a, a personal private letter that only goes out to our world changers. I'm going to always be sharing things with you. I'm going to be making special offers for our, for our world changers. I'm going to be doing everything I can to invest in you so that you can invest in your family and in the world around you. So listen, I can't wait to share this with you. And I'll talk with you again next week. Blessings to you. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.